So this is Luke 19, uh, verses 28 to 48. This is the word of God. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, the hill called the Mount, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come when you, upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Amen. I want to ask you a question. Um, this morning do you follow Jesus I imagine or at least I hope uh, the answer for most of you is yes but do you follow the real Jesus the biblical Jesus are you a part of his kingdom I don't know if, if, you're, if you're into movies. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big movie fan. Uh, and there's a film that, that kept popping into my head as I was, I was prepping this. Um, it's, a, it's a Will Ferrell comedy um, called Talladega Nights. Um, it's about a, a NASCAR driver uh, in the deep south called Ricky Bobby. 
Now, if you've seen it, um, you'll understand why I'm not going to show a clip uh, from it today. Um, I haven't been the minister here for 15 years, so I can't get away with that sort of thing. Um, but there's... <laughs> I was quite a pointed laugh there, Crystal. Um, but there's, there's one scene in it where Ricky Bobby's family uh, are gathered around the dinner table, and he's saying grace, and he keeps praying to the baby Jesus. Uh, he, he keeps saying things, you know, like, dear sweet Lord, baby Jesus, or uh, eight pounds, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus. And he goes on and on, and eventually uh, someone sort of challenges him on this and says, you know, Jesus wasn't always a baby. He grew up. And he says this, well, I like the Christmas Jesus the best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus, or teenage Jesus, or bearded Jesus, or whoever you want. And this leads to a bit of a discussion around the table as to how they like their Jesus. And his friend, Cal, he says this. He says, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. Because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like the Christmas Jesus the best. I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. It's a ridiculous scene in a, a pretty ridiculous movie. But it kind of makes a good point. We're great at coming up with our own versions of Jesus. A Jesus to suit us. Some say Jesus was just a great moral teacher. That Jesus is a champion of, of liberal values. That Jesus is a champion of conservative values. We have hippie Jesus, superhero Jesus, Jesus the liar, the fraud. For every agenda, people seem to be able to craft a Jesus that supports them. Lots of groups and people seem to want a piece of this Jesus. They know there's something there. But they want a Jesus that suits them. We see this in the Bible as well. You see, as, as we've been looking at chapters 18 and 19 of, of Luke, as Jesus is making his way towards Jerusalem, where his mission to save the world is going to come to a head, we see some people start to grasp who this Jesus is or might be. But we also see time and time again, people totally confused or quite unhappy with what Jesus is saying and doing. The rich young ruler, unhappy with Jesus' response to him to go and sell all that he had. The twelve, the disciples themselves, still confused by Jesus saying he's going to die and rise again. The crowd following him, unhappy that Jesus is eating with a sinner like Zacchaeus. The reason? Well, all these people, they wanted a Messiah, a Savior. They wanted Jesus. But some of the things this Jesus was saying and doing didn't quite fit with the Messiah they wanted or expected. You see, Jesus came to be a different sort of king and create a different sort of kingdom. 
than any of them were expecting or hoping for. And that brings us to today's passage, beginning with Jesus' approach to Jerusalem, the, the triumphal entry as it's known. I kind of always struggle with this story um, as, a, as a kid in, in Sunday school and, and Bible class. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem or to Jerusalem, surrounded by this huge crowd. They're all singing his praises and shouting about how great he is on the Sunday. And by the end of the week, this same crowd who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover had either abandoned him or were instead shouting, crucify him, crucify him. What's going on there? How could these people who seem to to love and support Jesus here and are literally singing his praises within a few days totally change, not just to an attitude of indifference, but to want to see him dead? You know, I I always thought it was the Pharisees doing. Manipulating the crowd, spreading false reports, stirring up trouble. And to be fair to them, they play their part. But they've been at this for years, and it hasn't worked. And there's no way they could ever convince people who truly loved Jesus to turn against them. So what's really going on? Well, to understand that, you you need to know a bit about where the Jews are as a people at this time. They've seen their kingdom, which was at its height under David and Solomon, become divided and crumble. They have lost lots of the land they once held. They have been carted off into exile. And once they returned, they have been under Persian, then Greek, and finally Roman rule. Since the time of that exile to Babylon, the people have been looking to the promises of the prophets of this Messiah, a saviour, a king who would be greater than David, who would restore God's people and build a kingdom that would last forever. Lots of people were following Jesus because they believed he was that Messiah that they were hoping for. They filled the streets because they believed Jesus was coming into the capital city to declare himself king, to cast out the Romans and begin this process of rebuilding the kingdom of Israel. They were so focused on their nationalistic ambitions, they were so focused on their political dreams, their desire to make Israel great again, that many of them had failed to see that Jesus had come to be a greater king than they could ever have hoped for and build a kingdom greater than any kingdom that has ever existed on earth. What they wanted from Jesus made them blind to what Jesus was actually saying and demonstrating to them through his ministry. And we see this clearly in the story of his approach to Jerusalem. Jesus comes riding on a, on a young donkey, fulfilling the messianic prophecy of, of Zechariah 9 verse 9, which says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
These people who had been under the, the, the yoke of other nations for hundreds of years, who were looking back to what they saw as a glorious past and hoping for an even greater future, because of this promised Messiah, they would have known these verses. Many would have recognized what Jesus was doing here. That he was declaring himself to be that Messiah. And yet they totally failed to get and grasp what that meant. Was this a, a mighty king? Riding in on horseback to do battle with Rome and take back the lands Israel had once held? No. This king comes riding on a donkey. The animal of a man of peace, not war. He comes on a, on a donkey that has never been ridden before. Making it acceptable to use for a sacred purpose. Jesus is, is foreshadowing that he's heading to Jerusalem, not to conquer Rome, but to conquer sin and death itself by being that final sacrifice. Then we have these, these words the crowd shout. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's from Psalm 118, which we, we read from earlier. But with the word king inserted into it. Again, confirming that the people want Jesus to declare himself God's chosen king. And then this call for peace. Peace in heaven. And glory in the highest. And Jesus speaks about their idea of peace a few verses later on. So we have a people desperate for a king to save them. To save them from their earthly problems. In Jesus they see this king. And as he rides towards Jerusalem fulfilling those Old Testament prophecies about this king. They know something important. Something amazing is about to happen. From what Jesus says to the Pharisees who, by the way, are, are terrified that the Romans are going to react to what's going on here and upset that place of prominence, prominence that this cushy life that they currently have. From Jesus' reaction to them, that the rocks themselves would cry out if the people stopped, it seems that the whole earth, the whole world is waiting in anticipation for what's about to happen. After all, we're about to see the fulfillment of God's rescue plan. A plan that has been in place ever since Adam and Eve broke their relationship with God. The crowd, however, they're sure, or many of them are sure, he's about to openly declare himself as king. And when he doesn't do what they want, or expect, or are hoping for, well, they begin to turn. They begin to turn on him. And that's why a few days later, they are so easily swayed to shout, crucify him. See, a lot of these guys, they were looking for a savior. They were looking for a Messiah on their terms. They wanted Jesus to fit in with how they saw the world. And when he didn't, even though what he was going to do was greater and better than anything they could have ever imagined, they walked away. They rejected him. That self-seeking nature, that I want it, 
but I want it my way, on my terms. That attitude that we all struggle with at times, it got the better of them. I wonder how often it gets the better of us. Do we put our trust in the biblical Jesus, in the real Jesus? Or do we too often create our own Messiah? We take the nice stuff that Jesus said, the bits that are easy, the teachings we like, we play down, or we don't mention, or we don't think about the bits that challenge us, the bits that are maybe a wee bit radical, the things that maybe don't quite fit with what society says anymore, or what we've chosen to believe. Do you look at the teachings of Jesus as the very words of our God? Do you look at the entire Bible as the very words of our God? And do you let what God says shape your values, your attitudes, your beliefs, your life? Or do you let the world influence you? Do you let it influence your beliefs, your values? And then you try and warp or wrap God's word to fit what you've already chosen to believe? Do you create a Jesus that suits you? Because the reality is that any other Jesus than the one spoken of throughout the Bible and seen specifically in the Gospels, is an idol. It's an idol of our own making and has absolutely no power to save us. Do you know the real Jesus? Do you spend time getting to know him better? In prayer, in Bible reading, in Bible study through things like our discipleship groups? Do you accept all that he has to say? And do you put that into action in your life? Have you put your faith and trust in the biblical Jesus? The Jesus who rode into Jerusalem, not as a conquering king, but to be a suffering servant. The Jesus who paid the price we could never pay so that we could have peace with God so that we could have a restored relationship with our creator and live in an eternal, perfect life in his presence. That is the Jesus they should have been celebrating that day, riding into Jerusalem, to suffer and die for the very people who would totally misunderstand his mission and soon reject him. So we have a very different king from what the people were expecting. And he comes to set up a very different type of kingdom from the one they were expecting. As Jesus comes into into view of Jerusalem, the city where the people think he's going to declare himself as this king, and the place from which they mistakenly believe he's going to begin a new earthly kingdom of Israel, he begins to weep. He's just been surrounded 
by crowds singing about peace in heaven. And now he comes to Jerusalem, whose very name means city of peace. A city where the people have failed to grasp what Jesus is about. A city which has failed to recognize their own God standing right in front of them. A city which has heard the gospel, but refused to listen. A city which is about to reject, torture, and kill their king. Peace for them meant getting rid of their earthly problems, getting rid of the Romans, rebuilding their kingdom, becoming a powerful nation again. Then they could have peace. Jesus weeps because they've completely missed the point. They think sorting out their problems on earth will bring them peace. But their biggest problem by far is their broken relationship with their God. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to build a kingdom. But it's not a small, temporary, unfulfilling kingdom on earth, like so many before or after. No, Jesus has come to make peace possible between God and us so that we can be restored to friendship with our creator, so that we can be part of his worldwide, eternal, perfect kingdom. This is the peace humanity needs. Just like those who who rejected Jesus, we so often look for fulfillment and peace in the things around us, things that are temporary, Things that can be good or bad, but that were never meant to be ultimate. We're never meant to give us that fulfillment, that peace, that joy that can only come from being in that restored relationship with God. Even those of us who follow Jesus, we're so often tempted to keep our eyes on earthly things rather than the things of heaven. To build our little kingdoms here on earth. To try and have the nice house and the car, the family and the job and all that stuff. Which is fine in and of itself. But when we make it ultimate, when we make it our main thing, when we make it what we're all about, then it becomes a problem. Firstly, because it it replaces the one who should be in that place. When we focus on building earthly kingdoms, when our focus is on the things of earth rather than the things of heaven, then just like the people of Jerusalem, we're rejecting the one who belongs in that place in our lives. The only one who should be the focus, who should be the cornerstone of our whole life. And secondly, building our lives focused on earthly kingdoms rather than heavenly ones means our lives are built on very shaky ground. When something goes wrong and we live in a world still soaked in the effects of sin, so things will go wrong. When we lose the job, something happens to the house, the family. And if that's the ultimate thing, if that's in the place of Christ in our lives, then our little kingdoms They come crumbling down around us. Many of of the Jews had 
or would reject Jesus as their Messiah by the end. They would reject him as their king. They would reject him as their God. And rejecting the only one who can restore us to that peace with God leads us to face up to the consequences of our sin. It leads us to the destruction we deserve. But because of Jesus, don't have to face. Jesus demonstrates this in a, in a very real way. Jerusalem's rejection of its Messiah leads to its total destruction. It faces the consequence of its rejection of God. The events that Jesus talks about took place in and around AD 70. The Jews eventually rebelled against the Romans anyway. And the emperor's son, Titus, he's sent along to, to put the rebellion down. He surrounds and lays siege to Jerusalem, and eventually he raises it to the ground. He totally destroys it, slaughtering both soldiers and civilians within. Let me ask you, do you know that peace with God because of what Christ did for you through his death and resurrection? Is your relationship with God the foundation and the building blocks of your life? Does it affect every aspect of your life? Or are you busy building earthly, temporary kingdoms with shaky foundations where God is, is all too often an afterthought or maybe not even thought of at all from Monday to Saturday? How can we make God more central to our normal, everyday living? How do we keep our focus on the kingdom of heaven? That kingdom that we, we, we belong to. That kingdom where we find our hope and our peace and our joy. Maybe we need to think more about how we make that an essential part of our everyday So we have a different king and a very different kingdom. And we finish today by just very briefly looking at the story of Jesus clearing the temple, showing the people once again the kind of king and the kind of kingdom Jesus has come to bring about. The temple was the, the center of Jewish worship. It was where the people could come and, and temporarily make themselves clean via sacrifice, putting their sins onto, onto an animal so that they could appear clean in God's presence. And Israel was meant to be a light to the nations. An important part of that was the court of the Gentiles. The only place in the temple where non-Jews could come and could see this worship of God and join in. So Jesus enters the court of the Gentiles and he finds that it's turned into little more than a market. A market where people are being overcharged in order to worship God. A market which has come into the temple and is disrupting and stopping people from worshipping God. So he drives them out. He uses his divine, kingly, miraculous authority to remove this large group of people from the temple and restore 
the true worship of God. This is the king he has come to be. The king who restores his people to himself. This is the kingdom he has come to build. A kingdom where there are no barriers to the true worship of God. Jesus is soon going to become the new temple. Just as the Jews came to the temple to be in the presence of their God, through Jesus we can constantly be in the God's presence because um, his Holy Spirit now lives in those of us who have put our faith in King Jesus. The Jews sacrificed animals to temporarily cleanse their sin, but Jesus gave himself as a perfect sacrifice as that final sacrifice, so that those of us who follow him can be totally free from our sin and from the consequences of it and be part of this incredible kingdom. And what this story shows us is that King Jesus isn't going to let anything get in the way of the true worship of our God. We can put our faith and our trust in him because he has authority to restore us to a right relationship with God, just as he restored the temple. So we have a very different king from what the people expected, coming to form a very different kingdom from what the people expected. A king who comes to serve and sacrifice rather than conquer and rule. A kingdom where we can have peace with God and a place in his everlasting, perfect kingdom. So the question is, do you follow a discount Jesus of your own invention? Do you follow a Jesus that you like, who maybe serves your needs and wants and makes you feel good about yourself, but has no power to do anything? Or do you follow the real Jesus? The only one who can save you and bring you into his kingdom and restore you to a right relationship with our Father. What Jesus are you following today? Let's pray. Lord, we we thank you that you are our king. We thank you that uh, what you came to do was so much more than we could ever have hoped for. We thank you that you came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That you came to be that final perfect sacrifice. You came to take our place, to take our sin, So that by putting our faith in you, we can be made right with our God. Lord, help us to follow you. Help us to never try and fit you into our wants and needs. But to look to you to shape our lives. Help us, Lord, through your spirit to grow to be more and more like you each day. Help us to be more and more the people we were created to be and less and less the people sin has led us to be. God, help us to build your kingdom here on earth. Help us to be your disciples.
and focus on the things of heaven rather than the things of earth. Lord, we pray you will just help us this week to keep you central to our everyday whole lives. Amen.